I really want to start off this week's review with a little bit of a joke about how I sort of ripped them apart a little bit last week and how they did so much better this week, but I don't even have the sarcasm in me to do that. Really, really good show. Really, really good go-home show to this first sort of semi-historical takeover we got going on on Sunday. And... Yeah, loaded show. A lot of people not on the pay-per-view on Sunday still got to look really, really good. Lots to talk about. Let's talk about it. What's going on, everybody? It's your buddy. It's your pals, Pass Phoenix, the YWC Reality Check, here with your February 12th NXT review. And before we get into it, we're going to do the house cleaning, as we always do. Really, only one bit of house cleaning, obviously pay-per-view this Sunday. Uh, sort of a, a breaking takeover for NXT. We've talked a lot about how the NXT pay-per-view schedule has changed this year. Technically, they've been part of three pay-per-views before actually having their own, but this is that first takeover that's not saddled with a with a main roster pay-per-view, and it's actually on the Sunday. It's a little bit of a, a bigger card. A lot of people are talking about Triple H's media call about how this pay-per-view is going to be different. And it's going to be different, except it's not going to be different Roddy Roddy Ross. So, there will be a preview for this takeover. You guys are watching this on Thursday. Check out on Friday. There will be a preview for TakeOver Portland. Now, all things being equal, I should have Super Sexy Jake DeMarco here co-hosting that with me. That is the plan currently. I'm recording this Wednesday night. The deal is we're going to do this on what or I'm going to do this Wednesday. This is going to premiere Thursday as it usually does. If you're new to the channel, we premiere the NXT reviews the next day on Thursday around 7 my time. I'm in Toronto. Figure out the timeline for yourself. After that goes live, uh, Jake DeMarco and I, all things being equal, are going to get together. We're going to record that preview, and that preview is going to go out on se at 7 o'clock on, on that. I can't speak. I swear. Words words, thoughts, in, into into vocabulary. It's all good. We will record that on Thursday, all things being equal. Friday, 7 p.m. Toronto time, the preview for TakeOver Portland will go out. Uh, Jake DeMarco uh, joined me for the Worlds Collide preview, and that was only the second video, technically, that he and I have done together. It was received really, really well. Obviously, a lot of support from his fans and also the... Uh, JCS Army, which is really, really cool. Shout out to Shell, shout out to Conman, shout out to all the other people that have been spreading my videos around and podcasts around recently. You know who you are. It's much appreciated. Looking very forward to this. Being very, looking very forward to this particular show, just to see, because it is a little bit different. There's going to be a couple things missing from this show, and we're hopefully going to talk about that tomorrow night. But all in all, I'm really excited for this show, and I'm kind of excited to see... I mean, this will be the narrative throughout, but I'm really excited to see how an NXT TakeOver that stands on its own is going to look. Is it going to be any different? We know we're going to have uh, musical performances from Poppy, and I think that's going to be cool. I think Triple H and NXT have basically adopted Poppy at this point, and that's, that's fine. She's their pet, although I want to find a less condescending way to say that. Now... Is, now we go back into the usual stuff of, if you're watching me on YouTube, go to your... Uh, podcast platform of preference and type in the Spaz Phoenix podcast to find the audio version. If you're listening in the audio version and you want to see the YouTube version, you want to see my pretty sexy face in the gimmick hat, go to YouTube, search Spaz Phoenix. It's all there. It's pretty much the same stuff unless I do anything visual, which is mostly like photo albums and shit. 
But thanks for uh, thanks for coming along for the ride. Don't thank you guys enough. I should thank you guys more. Thank you, all of you. And as like again, I say like the usual suspects. You know who you are. You know who you are. If you are somebody that has helped this channel get where it is. Before we get into NXT, we're going to talk like we did last week about what happened on Raw. Angel Garza was back on Raw. He wasn't even really involved in the Andrade Umberto Carrillo. Uh, story per se. He was out there with Zelina Vega once again. And they're a good... If Andrade wasn't a thing, Angel Garza and Zelina Vega are uh, are, are a really good... They're just a really good pairing. And it's one of the... He survives on Raw. And, uh, you know, we have a lot of... Uh, you know, a lot of concern about uh, our favorite NXT people going up to the main roster. Some of them stay down, some of them go up. Uh, I would sacrifice Angel Garza to the main roster to hold on to some other people like the the Adam Coles of Tommaso Ciampa's and the Leo Rushes, who we're going to talk about later on. Um, he was out there randomly to have a match with Cedric Alexander. Yeah, Cedric Alexander still works for WWE. Uh, he gets jumped by Umberto Carrillo. It was really hysterical to watch this on Raw because the entire time the two of them were fighting and Zelina Vega was losing her shit, Cedric Alexander was literally sitting on the top turnbuckle like, I fucking came out for this shit. But Umberto's taken away. Referee yells at Garza to get back in the ring and start his match, even though Umberto's the one that attacked him. But whatever. Um, you figure easy pickings for Cedric Alexander, who's an amazing athlete in his own right. But no, Wing Clipper gets the win for Angel Garza because reasons. Rhea Ripley didn't have as stellar a week this week as she did last week. She had a little bit of an interaction with Sarah Logan, of all people, that led to a match, that led to a really quick match. Um, I do like this idea that Charlotte came to NXT last week. And even the people that are feuding on NXT still got together to defend their brand and how Sarah Logan step up to Rhea Ripley. I mean, it's one of those you're going to die situations in the back and then she had a really, really quick match. But I like this idea that, hey, you know, we're all here. We're all here for the competition, etc. But there is a there is still an idea of, hey, you're from over there. Why are you here? You know, we're going to defend our turf type thing. Now, why do I like that? The only reason I like that is because, you know, every November, all of a sudden, they try to make us care about, you know, battle lines between the brands and who's got a yellow shirt and who's got a blue shirt and who's got a red shirt. If they manage to sort of sew that thread, small, very, very lightly, like they've done in the past couple of weeks, at least between NXT and Monday Night Raw, uh, it makes, when we come to next November, it makes it a little more bearable. Am I the only one that thinks that? Now, the other thing is, too, is Raw and... NXT are the two shows that are on the USA Network, so a lot of cross-promotion between the two. You're not seeing this on SmackDown over on Fox, so it might just be a cross-promotional tool, but it, it works. I mean, we're getting Charlotte Flair versus Rhea Ripley at WrestleMania once we get Bianca Belair out of the way, are we not? But, um, yeah, Charlotte comes out afterwards, and it's not great. They do a little bit of a back-and-forth that was overly scripted because it was raw. Um, how can I say this? How, how can I say this without sounding rude? The entire time Rhea Ripley's beating up Sarah Logan, and here's the thing, Sarah Logan gets done dirty in this situation, because I really do think, given the proper proper opportunity, I think she's great in her own right as well. All the, all the members of the Riot Squad are sort of doing their own thing and still sort of doing nothing. 
that's that's another topic for another video. But she gets the crap kicked out of her, and Rhea Ripley's never taken her eyes off Charlotte Flair, so she's really, really made to be an afterthought. And when she goes to pin her, it's a really aggressive pin, kind of looks like she's shagging her, which is fine. And Charlotte and Rhea cut a very, very lackluster uh, promo back and forth, and there's still no answer, and Charlotte's not going to say it. Gee, I wonder if Charlotte's going to show up on Sunday. Moving on. Rhea Ripley and Charlotte was the biggest story in the women's division until Becky Lynch versus Asuka for the title, again, for reasons. Becky Lynch wins, again, because reasons Kyrie Sane on the outside trying to be a scary teddy bear or whatever the hell she's doing. And then Becky Lynch gets jumped by Baszler, who's apparently just a vampire now. Just knocks her down, knocks her out, chokes her out for like half a second. If you want to see something really funny on Twitter, I am not, my Twitter game isn't the greatest. Go check out Cresta Star on Twitter and her live reactions to what's happening during Raw and SmackDown, etc. Her reaction to the Baszler thing was hilarious. So shout out to Cresta Star. If you go follow her on Twitter now, tell her I sent you. That'll, that'll do something. I'm sure it probably won't do anything at all. But literally knocks her face down on the mat and then... Kayfabe takes a bite out of the back of her neck. I uh, I have a coworker. You guys know I don't talk about work very much on here, so I'm still not going to talk very much about work now. Uh, I have a coworker that's been off for a couple of days, and he sort of like casually watches wrestling, knows enough that when I'm rambling about it, he can say, "Yeah, yeah, sure, yes, no, whatever." I, I just took a snapshot from my phone today because he came back to work today, and I just showed him the picture, and I said, "Just in case you're wondering." Shayna Baszler's a vampire now. And it's one of those... Here's the, here's the thing. I'm going to talk about this more tomorrow with Jake as well. But the Baszler, the Baszler bite segment was ridiculous. And stupid. And roddy roddy ra. And I can make a whole joke about how their opponents over on the AEW side of things are pretending to put each other's eyes out with keys. But I won't do that because I'm a nice guy. But it's the kind of ridiculous that we love in wrestling. It's the kind of ridiculous that makes us love the boogeyman. It's the kind of ridiculous that makes the pretend dead guy the biggest name in the history of professional wrestling. It's the kind of ridiculousness that, you know, Hulk Hogan isn't the greatest five-star match machine, but he's still the biggest name in wrestling. So it is absolutely ridiculous and if you tell me that it's ridiculous I won't argue with you but if you tell me that it's ridiculous I'm also gonna come and say yeah isn't that fucking awesome Baszler's a vampire and there I know there's a whole bunch of kayfabe news sites that are actually reporting that WWE are considering bringing Gangrel back into the fold to be her manager and that's kayfabe news and and not li not literal kayfabe news because that's hosted by Simon Miller and it's awesome but like these are like fake, like spoof sites that are that are just putting that out there because it's the obvious joke to make. But how how awesome would that be? How awesome would that be? It would be ridiculous. It would be like watching a current day Seth Rollins promo. But it's still why we love wrestling, is it not? Anyways, coming off of all that, I'm really really surprised because they haven't officially announced that Baszler's on the main roster yet. I mean, I know it's pretty much a thing. She had a match with somebody, wasn't it? it was it was was Shotzi her last match in NXT? I mean, that that's a thing, isn't it? She was in the Battle Royal, etc., etc., etc. But they haven't done anything official about her not being in NXT anymore. So I half expected her or Becky or both to be on the show tonight. Spoiler, they're not. Spoiler, Charlotte wasn't, which is which makes sense in a way because if 
if she's going to be showing up at the pay-per-view on Sunday, which I'm speculating she will, uh, they would have really telegraphed it with her showing up on two episodes of NXT back-to-back -back leading into that show. So I don't mind that, but I was kind of hoping that we would see something from Becky Lynch and Shayna Baszler, even if it's just Becky Lynch having a little bit of an NXT homecoming. That didn't happen. That kind of bummed me out. What did happen was the actual show, which I'm going to get into now after 11 minutes of rambling. So we start off, as we always do, with the recap from last week, all the different things that happened, the interaction between the women, the broserweights, and their broserweight mobile, and, and it's all good, and the return of Velveteen Dream, because it's February. Oh, yes. Speaking of the Velveteen Dream, we start off the show proper with the with the Undisputed Era music, and I thought, okay, they're going to come out in full force, they're going to make themselves a big, strong force, and it's all going to be good, but no! No, Roderick Strong comes out by himself, and commentary is quick to tell us that, yeah, he is coming out by himself because Adam Cole has a match that he's looking forward to later tonight. Adam Cole's taking on Kushida, which, in its own right, is a really interesting match that we're going to talk about later. And Fish and O'Reilly are already in Portland doing news events. So, yeah, Roderick Strong is out there by himself to make a point, but he's out, out there by himself to make a point, and he's alone by necessity, not because he's all of a sudden become a badass. I think they sort of cut his legs out by over-explaining all that stuff, but it does set the table a little bit differently. It does set it for a one-on-one -on -one scenario. He comes out, he's all pissed off. He says, this isn't about the Undisputed Era. This isn't even about the North American Championship. This is personal. This is my family. This is my family that Velveteen Dream put on his tights. It didn't take long for you to cross a line that nobody should ever cross. I'm going to hurt you and you're not going to regret it. I'm going to get my apology. And he's interrupted. I'm not going to lie. For a split second, I forgot what Velveteen Dream's music sounded like. But it wasn't Velveteen Dream anyway. It was super generic entrance music number five because we had Bronson Reed, of all people, come out. And I couldn't figure out why at first. And I couldn't figure out why we got the match with Kushida later on at first until they reminded us on commentary. Undisputed Era, while they were on their tirade last week, took out Bronson Reed and Kushida, as I say, a lot for reasons while they were looking for Tommaso Ciampa, and then Tommaso Ciampa still took them out, so that worked out really well. He says, you don't just have a problem with Velveteen Dream, you've got a problem with me right now. And for the second week in a row, it's sort of, we fell into a match. And I'm just thinking, I mean, Roderick Strong is sort of the weak, he's being portrayed as the weak link in the Undisputed Era chain, but he's still part of the Undisputed Era, which basically makes him a main eventer. Bronson Reed, who I'm a huge fan of, having a match with Roderick Strong out of nowhere is fucking fantastic. Knocked down by reading, uh, lost my place already, knocked down by reading some corner headbutts, corner headbutts in the corner. That's what I wrote down. That's the kind of day it is. Front slam and a running elbow by Reed and a shoulder tackle. Strikes and chops by Strong. Corner chops by Reed. Chops by Strong and an Irish whip and a side slam by Reed. Now, Reed had caught Roderick Strong off guard. Roderick Strong comes out there, even though he's in his ring gear, not uh, not ready for a fight. He's still got the Undisputed Era shirt on, the black and gold, like, like we're used to. Bronson Reed jerseys him with it. Pulls it right over his head before he locks him in the neck vice, which I thought was a neat little touch. Kicks to the knee by Strong. Strikes in the corner. Fish hook by Reed. <coughs> Can't speak, I swear. Um, corner avalanche and an Irish whip. Now, we're working on Strong's back. The irony of working on the back of the guy who's famous for breaking other people's backs is thick and strong in this match. Hard Irish whip by Reed. Clubs to the lower back by Reed and another Irish Grounded reverse bear hug by Reed. Grounding him into the mat. If you're listening to this in audio form, tell me how annoying it is when I, when I tear the paper and throw it around. I'm really, really... Uh, 
because I'm trying to make the sound better on the audio versions. So tell me, tell me how annoying that is. Chops by Strong in a forearm by Reed. Delayed vertical suplex by Reed is terrifying. Avalanche shoulder tackle from the apron to the floor by Reed is kind of like a house falling on you, is it not? Standing choke by Strong as we come back from the commercial break. A back suplex by Reed. Rolling forearm shots by Reed. Corner, corner knee strike shot to the back by Strong. Fireman carry hangman by Reed. Reverse lariat by they. I think they called it the King Kong lariat by Reed, and that that's really an apt description of it because he just he, it's not really a clothesline where he sort of runs through him. He just sort of clubs him down. It's it's almost reminiscent of Keith Lee and the way he hits a clothesline with the way he hits sort of his clubbing blows. I mean, they're both big dudes. It makes sense that they would be they would be very similar. Firing, fireman carry hangman by Reed. He gets him up in sort of like that AA position and drops him throat first over the rope. Not quite a babyface move. I kind of like that. Follows it up with a reverse lariat. Mule kick by Strong. Power slam by Reed and a Sinton. Superplex by Strong and a wrecking ball drop kick. And then the lights go out. And they didn't play Velveteen Dreams music once again. They played that little squeal at the beginning of his entrance music. And then the lights went purple. The lights went purple, but it wasn't a distraction in the typical WWE sense because the match kept going. Suicide Dive by Bronson Reed is a terrifying prospect, is it not? But he gets back in the ring. He's going to do something off the top, but it's blocked with a knee strike by Strong. If you're going to block something, if you're going to block somebody's offensive maneuver, a great way to block that offensive maneuver is with your own kneecap to their face. Roderick Strong obviously gets the win. My stream decides to be a dick. When my stream comes back, you see Velveteen Dream on the, uh, I don't know what they call a Titan Tron. He says, remember when you first met your wife, Remember how great that was? Well, I remember some stuff, too. I remember when you bullies tried to take me out. I'm going to steal something from you. You've already lost your title to somebody else, but you do have a family. And if anything ever happens to you, somebody else will have to fulfill all your girl's dreams. It was a little it was a little cobbled together for, for a pre-recorded promo, let's be real for a second, but it was... It did get the point across, and then we focused on the tights again. Now, I have to say, in all fairness... I didn't pick up on the tights thing when I did my review last week. I just figured, okay, he pulled off his tights, Angel Garza style, and there was more tights. I didn't get the whole thing, because I didn't see it clearly, because my stream was was shit, so I missed out on that. We could have had a whole conversation about that last week, but we did not. Strong runs off, presumably to find Velveteen Dream, and we expect that we're going to see that that match has been added to the card for TakeOver. Spoiler alert, it has not. I have thoughts on that. We're going to go later on. We have a video package, first of many, from the Broser Waits, where they are going on a road trip to, to Portland because they can't stow the trophy safely in the overhead compartment. Rod, rod, rod. And it's good. It's comic. I cannot recreate it. I'm not going to try it. Basically, they're on a road trip. They try to get in a car. They, uh... They go on later on, and they, they get the car impounded because, you know, you're not supposed to drive without a license, and neither one of them has a license. Later on, they, uh... I'm losing my train of thought. That's really, really terrible. Later on, they go hang out on a boat for a bit, and how are you going to take, uh, take a boat to go to Portland? And Matt Riddle's like, nah, this is just my chilling spot, man. And eventually, Matt Riddle takes him to a plane. He says, this is the plane. We're going to fly a private plane to Portland, it's all going to be good, and he keeps on he keeps on referring to the back of the plane as the boot, which is, I think, what it's called over in the UK, the, I think, I think that's their equivalent of uh, what we call the trunk, 
Um, but he keeps on saying the boot with an accent, and it keeps pissing off Pete Dunne. He's like, we're going to put it in the boot. And so they put it in the boot, and he pushes Pete Dunne into the back of the plane, the, into the cargo area, pushes the trophy into the cargo area, hops himself into the cargo area, and all you hear is Pete Dunne through the door saying, wait a minute, whose plane is this? And it's Triple H's plane. They stowed away on Triple H's plane with the trophy, which is as big as them, as a freeway to get to Portland. And the whole thing started off with because they couldn't properly ship the trophy. It's, it's all good. It's all good is what I'm saying. Angel Garza in the back talking about his number one contenders match tonight because he's got a number one contenders match versus Leo Rush uh, to, t uh, to see who's going to take on Jordan Devlin next. Now, if you go back, way back to the preview that Jake and I did for Worlds Collide, I speculated that Jordan Devlin might win that match. And wouldn't that be great? He can cross over all the brands and take the title with him and ride, ride, ride. And eventually, eventually, it's going to get Devlin versus Rush. I said that, didn't I? I said that would be an amazing pay-per-view match. I said that would be an amazing match to get both those guys and that title on that show, didn't I? Did we get that? Did we fuck? Candice LeRae versus Dakota Kai. Uh, the through line here is is pretty damn good. I mean, they fought already. They fought already over the fact that Candice LeRae is stuck in this feud between Dakota Kai and Tegan Knox, which is going to take place at the pay-per-view. They really did go into promotional mode uh, with this. The commentators were obviously being fed a bunch of stuff, a little bit of heavy-handed stuff, where every match that had somebody in it, it's like, don't forget they're going to be in a match on Sunday. Don't for And I get that that's the point of a show. I get that that's the point of a show, but... Or I get that's the point of a... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm doing this a lot because I can't think of my words. Um, that's the point of a go-home show, is what I'm saying. But NXT used to be good at being subtle about that. Now, they're on TV, so subtlety kind of goes out the window a little bit. Everything gets a little bit more flushed out than it used to. And I get, as well that this is a different takeover, this is a different takeover scenario, so I don't mind them pushing it because they're, it's going to get more pushed because it's a bigger show, because it's a more, I want to say a more important show. I, I, would, I would venture to say almost that this takeover coming up is more important than whatever they do in conjunction with WrestleMania, because that's, that's not them having a takeover weekend, that's back to them being part of WrestleMania weekend. So this is their standalone. I, I, I could very much make the argument that this this takeover, the success of this takeover is more important than the success of their takeover WrestleMania weekend, which is bizarre to say, but I hope you follow my thought pattern on that. Candice LeRae versus Dakota Kai. Lung blower by Candice LeRae to start the match. Haluva kick by Kai, boot by LeRae, a suicide dive, a trap, sorry, a trip by Kai, a second suicide dive by LeRae, a third and then a fourth suicide dive by Candice LeRae and a top rope drop kick. Palm strikes and a series of kicks by Kai because she's the captain of Team Kick which Mauro Ronaldo tells us with great fervor and great vigor and great Ronaldoism. I don't want to tap dance on the Adam Cleary uh, Ronaldo buddy talks like that, but yeah. Choke over the bottom ropes by Kai. Forearm shots by Kai. Boot by Larray off the top rope. Another choke on the second rope by Kai, followed by a mud hole stomp. Larray eats the turnbuckle post face first because she sort of goes through and get stuck. She looks like she's going to do... Do you remember the thing that Sami Zayn used to do where he used to dive diagonally through the turnbuckle... Uh, I don't know what you call them. The little bolt, the, the little bolts that hold the rope to the turnbuckle. Where she, he used to dive through those and do the... Uh, the uh, 
the tornado DDT on the floor. Well, she sort of went halfway through and then got spun around until she went face first into the post. And that sent us into another commercial break. We come back from that commercial break. Shining Wizard by Lorraine, Top Rope, Neckbreaker, a modified German suplexer, Gargano Escape by Lorraine. Gargano Escape by Lorraine should get the win just because of the emotional uh, connection to it. But Kai reverses the Gargano Escape into a roll-up and Dakota Kai gets the win. Now, a couple things here. The Gargano Escape by Candice LeRae uh, getting reversed at all is kind of bad for her because she said, because you got that meaningful moment of I'm gonna I'm I'm having such a, a time in this match that I'm gonna take something out of my hubby's playbook, and that desperation attempt to pull something out of somebody else's playbook didn't get her the win, and also it led to a cheap roll up, and I mean a heel getting a cheap roll up I don't have a problem with it just doesn't help Candice LeRae. Also, the move that she took from her husband is probably going to be the move that factors into the finish on Sunday when when uh, when Gargano's taking on Balor. If there's a moment in the match where, where Balor is in the Gargano escape, I'm trying to put my thought together here, and he struggles with it and he can't reverse it, that... I don't know. I, it, it does something. It does something to Lorraine. It does something to, to Gargano by proxy. But Dakota Kai getting a cheap in the uh, a, a cheap in the winnest of ways because my words are working tonight. A win in the cheapest of ways is kind of all right. Post match beatdown. Um, I want to say it's a post match beatdown, but Larray really goes after Dakota uh, after the match because she's still got revenge. She's still mad at what she did to her, what she did to her friend, etc. But it quickly gets reversed when she basically eats shit face first into the ring bell and then. Uh, Dakota Kai from there takes the ring belt, decides to use it as a weapon or whatever. Tegan knocks out of nowhere, makes the save. They brawl. They have an extended brawl sort of from the ringside area all the way up the ramp, and it's a big, dramatic pull-apart from a bunch of security dudes that are twice as big as all three of these women, but I won't dwell on that too much because the women's division is awesome, and they, they just cannot be contained. It's fine. We get into another one of those situations where, and we didn't have Dijak on this week. We had Dijak conversation this week, but we didn't have Dijak this week. So to fill that, I know that they're a great wrestler, but I just don't care. We have Cameron Grimes this week instead. Cameron Grimes taking on Johnny Gargano. Now Johnny Gargano has probably the most promoted match on the card. It's not for a title. It's not even for a number one contenders match. But when they announced this pay-per-view, they announced it in conjunction with the announcement of Gargano versus Balor. It could, you could make a case for Gargano-Balor being the main event over Cole and Ciampa. Because it's got that kind of, that kind of cachet to it. I don't, I don't want to make the lazy, lazy Cena Rock comparison. But Cena Rock was the main event of that show. And it should have been, because it was bigger than, than the others. And now... People don't want to. People don't want to say that. People don't want to admit that. People that were cheering for the champions at the time don't want to hear that. But those are the two drawing names. Gargano and Balor has that feeling on an NXT scale. And I, I as much as it's going to be a great match, Cole and Ciampa hasn't been promoted for nearly as long. Hasn't been promoted nearly as hard. And there's a lot more baggage in that. The title is baggage. The fact that. Uh, the fact that Cole is part of a faction and there could be lots of interference and there's people that could help Ciampa and there's people that will definitely help Cole and whereas the 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 epicity and the simplicity of Gargano 
and and Balor. I, I want it to be the main event in a lot of ways. I really do. Plus, it's because there's no title, because there's no there's no token thing that they're fighting over. Either one of these guys could win, and it could not be the end of the feud. And the, the flexibility of that, along with the simplicity and the epicity of this match, I, I I push harder and harder towards the fact that this should be the main event. I don't think it will be. I think they'll go with the title match because there's a more traditional uh, set of logic behind that. But he shouldn't be warming up against Cameron Grimes. And uh, and yeah. As as the trend will show tonight, the people that were that are in matches on Sunday that needed to get their shit in did a great job of making the people that aren't on the show on Sunday and don't need to get their shit in still look good. And that's something that the main roster could learn from. Obviously, that's what NXT does really, really well. NXT does a squash match without being a squash match. Now, because of obvious reasons, we are going to talk about an exception to that rule later on down the line, but it's also February. Moving on. Gargano versus Cameron Grimes. I don't even know why I'm talking about this. Gargano works the arm and there's a waist lock slam by Grimes. A snapmare chin lock combination by Gargano. A trip and a knee bar. A front face lock by Gargano. Arm drag. And the Gargano escape. Second time in two consecutive matches. Gargano escape does not win the match. Kitchen sink by Grimes. Arm drag into an arm bar. Head scissor drop kick. Super kick combination by Gargano. Cannonball off the apron by Gargano. Grimes eats the guardrail hard. Chops by Gargano. Clothesline by Grimes. As we go to commercial break, coming back from the commercial break, we have a German by Grimes, a boot by Gargano, a neck breaker, a face first suplex, a slingshot spear, all by Gargano. I love the slingshot spear. Have I mentioned that? Forearm shot by Gargano. Weird flippy dippy doo thing that Grimes does, and I, I don't care. I don't, I just don't. Super kick by Gargano, super kick by Grimes, Gargano escape, Gargano gets the win. I don't care about the weird flippy thing anymore. I don't care about the cave-in. Thankfully, we didn't see it in this match. It shouldn't take two Gargano escapes to get the win for Gargano because he's here on the card and Grimes just isn't. I, I know he's got fans. I get it. It's like the Dijak thing. I'm not necessarily saying he's a bad athlete. I'm not even saying he's a bad wrestler, per se, but I don't care. I uh, I remember one of my other co-hosts uh, you guys are familiar with, Kristen, Black Hat Feline. We talked about a pay-per-view a couple years ago. I think it was when we were talking about the first or the second Saudi Arabia show. And she said something to me that I think applies to a lot of a lot of wrestlers, a lot of storylines, a lot of situations, a lot of brands, etc. And uh, it's it's the whole I don't like it, I don't hate it, I nothing it, and that's worse. Now, you guys have heard me talk forever and a day about the fact that I can't stand somebody like a Sasha Banks, but Sasha Banks has a step above this because I feel something. It's not because her character is any good; it's because she's a real life shitty human being. But I feel something. Cameron Grimes is worse because I nothing him. I nothing. It's 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 the Forgotten Sons. The Forgotten Sons. Cameron Grimes and Dominic Dijakovic need to just go and make a faction on on a strictly dark match show. I don't. With all the respect that I can scrape together for Cameron Grimes, there's a little bit of respect that I can scrape together, so I'm trying to infuse it into this statement. Gargano deserved a better warm-up match than this. Moving on, we get more of the Pete Dunne and Matt Riddle road trip. It's all good. We got Cole backstage talking about his match with Kushida tonight, talking about his match with Ciampa on Sunday. It's all, it's it's Adam Cole. He's, he's good at this shit. We see what looks like a, a, um, 
I mean, he's an advocate at the end of the day. He's a Paul Heyman sort of thing from Robert Stonebrand. And he says, we're going to get a rematch for Chelsea Green with Caden Carter next week. Uh, you know, this is the Robert Stonebrand. It's a rebrand. It's a re it's a relaunch of our brand. Roddy, Roddy, Ra. And we get the announcement that we're getting Dream versus Strong next week on NXT. Not on the show. Have opinions about that. Those opinions are coming tomorrow. Leo Rush versus Angel Garza cruiserweight uh, title number one contendership match to see who's going to go on and face Jordan Devlin for the NXT cruiserweight championship. That new, properly colored cruiserweight championship belt. And he, I would have thought that they would have maybe put him on commentary for this, but they didn't. Angel Garza takes his pants off at the beginning of the match. Didn't even wait for the match to start. Last week, what did he do? He threw them at Swerve, didn't he? That was that was weird. Swerve could have another shot at this. Swerve, Swerve versus Rush would would be good too, wouldn't it? That's another story for another day. Uh, elbow by Rush and insane counter flying. Now, when we go into a lot of wrestlers, if you get somebody like a, like an Adam Cole and a Johnny Gargano, you could have an insane counter wrestling sequence. But these guys, because of the style that they have, because of the division that they're representing, etc., they had a they didn't have a counter wrestling sequence. They had a counter flying sequence, and that's the only way I can describe it. I could not tell you each individual thing that they did, even though I usually try. Drop kick by Garza and a knee strike and a tree of woe and another kick to the midsection. Several boots by Garza. Rush takes him out at the D. Rush, uh, wow. That, uh, the way I wrote that doesn't make any sense. But Garza takes Rush back first into the post. There we go. It just says Rush back to the post. My writing is terrible. My note-taking ability is less than zero. It takes him into the post, takes him into the steps, takes him into the rail, and then kicks him between the shoulder blades just for good measure as we go to commercial break. Suicide Dive by Rush brings us back. Suicide Sinton and a spin kick when they get back in the ring. A series of kick combos by both men. Inverted face buster by Garza. That thing where he sort of turns him inside out and, and drops him on his face. And a second rope stunner by Rush. Final hour on the floor by Rush. Looks like it should hurt his knees, but apparently it doesn't. Superkick by Garza. Roll up by Rush, and Rush gets the win. Now, a lot of roll-ups. A lot of, lot of really, really big sequences that end in roll-ups. Dakota Kai earlier in the night, which is fine because she's a heel. It's a little bit it's a little bit different for Rush because he's a babyface, but he's a babyface that's been pushed to a very angry place, and he's going to take that win. He's going to take that vengeance however he can. Devlin meets him on the stageway, sort of says, congratulations, that was a great match, rah, 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 You're going to find out that why you should, when you take on me, you're going to find out why you should never bet against an ace. Next week on NXT, again, I have thoughts on this. You're going to have to hear them tomorrow night. Cruiserweight Championship. We just established the number one contender. We've got a great champion, a great challenger. And it's not until next week's show. Just sort of mull on that for a second. Now, we had a video package for Dijak and Lee next. Now, normally I would just brush it off as that. It's a great video package. NXT slash WWE always do a great video package. But it was a, there was a, they did a really cool, interesting thing here. I think they know subconsciously that uh, people are getting sick of Dijak and Lee. Especially considering we totally sacrificed Damian Priest and Killian Dane to get back to a match that most people were already sick of. But they had this match, or, sorry, they had this video package narrated by Mark Henry, WWE Hall of Famer and famous big man Mark Henry, to talk about this big guy match. And I thought that was a brilliant little bit of, um, not nuance, but a, a, a brilliant little bit of, we're going to put something extra into this. Now, 
on the one hand, it's really good. Uh, you you got a passing of the torch as far as Mark Henry giving both of these guys credit for what they can do. I think he made reference to one of them being as big as the Undertaker, but moving like Rey Mysterio. That's a bit of a that's a bit of a thing. It was really cool until I thought about an apt comparison, and the apt comparison is the Hell in the Cell pay per view, and the Hell in the Cell pay per view always gets precursored by Mick Foley coming out on Raw or coming out on SmackDown to warn whoever's about to go in the cell about how bad the cell is. And it's just... As soon as I thought of that comparison, the effectiveness of this went down a little bit. Now, Mark Henry is not somebody we trot out, um, you know, five, six times a year for a nostalgia pop, so it doesn't quite have the same Mick Foley feel, and they're not trying to sell you on something as dangerous as the Hell in the Cell. So it's not as bad as that, but as soon as I drew that comparison, the effectiveness of this went down just a little bit. This is one of those things that I'm not even sure I believe what I'm saying right now, but it's definitely resonating. I would love, love to hear your guys' reactions to that in the comment section down below. Should they have brought Mark Henry in? Was it a cool move, or was it a step uh, too far, or a little bit off-center? Now, I said a minute ago, said a minute ago that WWE does really terrible squash matches and they, they, they just do look at somebody like a Rowan and they do really good squash matches that elevate both people like we did tonight Cameron Grimes, um, Bronson Reed, etc. They don't make actual squash matches that are just squash matches unless it's February and your name is Bianca Belair because Bianca Belair took on Santana Garrett. You want to hear how this match went? Pounced by Belair. Kick to the midsection by Belair. Implant buster against the turnbuckle by Belair. KOD by Belair. Belair gets the win. Now, I'm not going to claim to be a huge fan of Santana Garrett, but everybody that I've heard that is more familiar with her is extremely high on her. Like, they come... I have heard, and I don't know how accurate this is. I don't know if I'm talking out of my ass when I say this. I have heard people compare her to... Um, the hell's her name? She's got the dude title in Impact right now. Um, I have heard people compare her to Tessa Blanchard. Now, I don't know how apt that comparison is. I could be speaking out of my ass. The people talking to me could be speaking directly out of their ass. But I do remember her from the May Young Classic. I do remember her thinking that she was not that bad. Nothing particularly special. Nothing, obviously, that stood out to me or I'd be talking about her more often. But, like, perfectly serviceable. Like, you could have had, like, a little five-minute match. You still want to hand Belair the win on a silver platter, like I hope you're not doing on Sunday. But this didn't need to be like this at all. Uh, and then to cap it all off and make it even more egregious, Bi uh, Bianca Belair, she grabs the mic, and she talks. And I know it was only for a couple of seconds, but you know what it feels like? It feels like she just talks and talks and talks and talks. It feels like she might have might as well have done the you don't even go here again. Now, I don't like doing that voice. Seeing Bianca Belair on my TV makes me do that voice. So let's not make me do that voice. She talks and talks and talks and talks and talks. Rhea Ripley comes out because Belair was basically saying, oh, you know, Rhea Ripley's looking past me and all of you are looking past me and you guys are all looking to Charlotte and she's looking to Charlotte. And it's like, in your head, as the person watching this promo, you want to be like, yeah, because they're, they're the stars. Charlotte's a bigger star than you. Rhea Ripley's a bigger star than you. You can stop now. It's February, I get it, but get over it. And she's, oh, you know, they're overlooking me, they don't know what they're overlooking, whatever. Ripley, with the promo of the night, three lines, I says, I assure you I'm not looking past you, I'm looking right at you, right in your face, and Sunday I'll look right through you. And then she gets a slam on her, 
because it's February and it's Bianca Belair. Moving on. The, the final installation of the uh, Pete Dunne, Matt Riddle road trip with them getting on Triple H's plane. It's hilarious. It's really good. Now, the criticism that NXT gets a lot of time is there's not a whole lot of character building. There's not a whole lot on the show that is fun. The absolute tonic to that bad take, in my opinion, because there is a lot of stuff that's fun. Angel Garza, for, for, the, for the fantastic wrestler that he is, for the fantastic in-ring performer that he is, Angel Garza is a lot of fun. Bel Air is sort of a weird kind of fun. Um, you got the the lower card. You got Shotzi Blackheart coming out in the tank. You got the Broserweights coming out in the Broserweight Mobile with with their own pyro on the card. There is a lot of fun in NXT, but for the people that out there that just don't want to see it or pretend that it's not there, Michael Sidgwick, I'm looking at you. Um, you do want to look at something like this where they're doing these skits, and they've basically, like I say, they've basically hijacked their way onto Triple H's plane with the trophy, and they're in the boot! It's it's all good. It's not to be taken too seriously, obviously, but it, it is what it is. Ciampa cuts a really interesting promo next in the back. Not in the back, but in the, um... In one, of the, in one of the classrooms of the Performance Center, it starts off with him watching the video of a year ago or so when he had to come to the PC and surrender the title and all that sort of thing. And he, he just sort of like calmly narrates everywhere everything that's happened from then until now, getting the title back, getting his life back and all that sort of thing. Now, um, I, I do have to side with the people that say that Ciampa is not always the best on the mic. I do get that, but in these overly produced, some would say overly dramatic, pre-recorded uh, build-ups like this, I think he's fantastic, and I think he's not given his due, whereas I think he might be embellished a little bit as far as his ability on a live mic, I think he's not giving an, given enough credit in how he can do things like this. And just because we're in the PC, you know, shout out to Simone Johnson, The Rock's daughter, who's apparently in the PC, who's apparently got a developmental NXT contract. So we'll see how that goes. And all the jokes in the world, all the Rock puns on Twitter, you know, are we going to call her the Pebble because she's the daughter of The Rock? And I said, no, we should call her the Boulders. Moving on, Adam Cole versus Kushida. Now, now, uh... I don't know what to say here, because obviously this is meant to serve what it serves. But it just reminded me, because they talked on the way out about how, you know, the, the hopes were dashed for the return of the Time Splitters, the return of uh, Kushida and Alex Shelley as a tag team. I will not pretend that I knew them as the Time Splitters. I will not pretend that I knew them as a tag team, but I do know Alex Shelley back from back in the day, from, from back in the TNA day. And I do know what I think of Kashida now. I think they could have gotten some more legs out of that. I think they got Alex Shetty for Shelley for a one-off appearance, and that's a real bummer. But uh, yeah, other than that, Adam Cole versus Kushida. I hope they do something with Kashida real soon. They teamed him up with Brizango a while ago, did they not? Fandango's injured again. You could have Kashida and Tyler Breeze as a tag team. I don't know. That, that, that sort of strikes me as, as being a bit of something. Adam Cole versus Kushida. I'm going to say this a third time before I ramble off into the distance once again. Collar and elbow time, and each one's working the other one's arm, and there's a, there's a little bit of a cat and mouse thing for who's going to be able to lock up the other one's arm. There's a side slam in the front, face lock by Kushida. Low drop kick by Kushida, and a ground and pound on the outside. Kushida eats the steps, and then a cross arm breaker on the floor as a counter. 
Top rope axe handle by Kushida once they're back in the ring. A series of kicks, a heel kick by Kushida, uh, sorry, a handspring heel kick by Kushida knocks Cole off the apron, but then he comes back with a super kick on the outside as we go to commercial break. Boot by Kushida as we come back from that commercial break and a handspring back elbow again knocking Cole off the top turnbuckle this time. Uh, Diving DDT and a cross arm breaker by Kushida. Kushida drop kicks Adam Cole in the arm and commentary right on there. He's he's had the he's had the lock on. He's had all kinds of things done to his arm. So now we're going to drop kick him in the arm. Fantastic. But if you take out Adam Cole's arm, he's still got legs. Shining Wizard. Both men trade some forearms for a little bit. Cole obviously selling the arm before he uh, resorts to a super kick. Ushiguroshi by Cole, which was snapped off particularly well as Beth Phoenix and Nigel McGuinness go in great detail as to all the different things that an Ushiguroshi actually does to you when it's hit properly. Hoverboard lock by Kushida on the injured arm. They get into a pinning reversal sequence. There's a Pele kick by Kushida. A kick to the face by Kushida. A super kick to the back by Cole. And the last shot gets the win for Cole. Now, I do... It's a bit... It's cheating a little bit. Because uh, there's so many moves of Adam Cole's that are, are kick related. You know, he's got the super kick. Everybody's got a super kick. Obviously, the last shot is, is, is a modified kick or strike as well. But to see him specifically towards the end of the match resorting to just uh, lower extremity uh, type offense because his arms worked on so much was a nice, neat little thing and nobody droned on about it forever. It just was what it was. And obviously, because it's a go-home show, we end off the show with Ciampa coming out uh, sort of, he does the, he does this cool, like, th there's a thing about Ciampa, right, because he's got so much, uh, like, erratic energy when he's in a match, and it's, and it's vicious, and it's violent, and it's, a, and it's aggressive, and all those other words you want to put in, but until he starts, he's got this really sort of skulking, and I'm not making a Randy Orton reference here, but, like, this really sort of skulking, uh, snake-in-the-grass, um, type of stalking, mentality about him. He just slowly saunters down the ring. Especially when he used to drag the crutch behind him. It, it literally was the tail of the snake to, to finish off my really bad metaphor there. But, um... Lost my train of thought. Yeah, he just comes down. He just makes his way down slowly. Adam Cole's kind of locked on him. He sort of circles the ring. Finally gets in there. There's no, there's no blows. There's no hostility. There's no whatever, he comes down, and I want to call it a stare-down, because that's what you do. You have your two main eventers stare-down going into the pay-per-view, but Ciampa isn't staring at Cole. He's staring the belt in the face, to the point where Adam Cole has to lift the belt so that they can look eye-to-eye. -eye. I thought that was a genius. I don't know who's done it. I don't know whether they've been directed or whether that's some... That's the second time that my camera's died on me while I've got, like, a minute left of stuff to say. Anyways, yeah, uh, I don't know where exactly the cutoff is because I haven't done the editing yet while I'm still recording this. But basically, yeah, Ciampa staring down the belt instead of staring down Cole is brilliant. Cole bringing the belt up just so that they can look eye to eye is brilliant. And the fact that they didn't lay a hand on each other unless it happened after the camera stopped rolling is brilliant because it leaves it simmering. It leaves it with that mentality with the audience of Ciampa doesn't even care about Cole. Cole is just who he has to go through to get his baby back. I think that's fucking brilliant. And that is the end of the go-home show for Portland. So what do we have for Portland? What do me and hopefully Jake DeMarco have to talk about tomorrow night for you guys and put it into your ear holes? We got Dijak versus Lee. Pretty sure you guys can imagine what I'm thinking about that. Knox versus Kai, which is great. 
two women's matches on the card because the NXT women's division is something we can beat AEW over the head with. Uh, Undisputed Era versus the Broserweights, which only gets more entertaining. Balor versus Gargano, which is a potential main event. Ripley versus Belair, which is eh, but it's getting us to Ripley versus Charlotte. And Cole versus Ciampa for the title. And I'm not going to lie, here's a little preview of what I'm thinking for Cole versus Ciampa. Whoever loses this match, if Cole loses, if Ciampa 